DJ and PK, time to talk Michigan State football with Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Chris, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys doing out that way? We're doing pretty well. How are you doing in Michigan? Because, you know, you got an airport there that gets a lot of flights in from all over the world, and it was pretty wild there for a while. Yeah, Detroit was uh, right there behind New York is one of the hot spots. Luckily, I live uh, closer to Lansing, um, which has had its ups and downs with protests, but um, also a little like in between the two a little bit. So i uh, been able to escape a lot of that, a little bit of country living out here, but not too bad on uh, for, for the most part. It's uh, been an interesting time, to say the least. So before uh, we get too far into all of this, uh, how, what are the odds the, college, the Michigan State college football schedule is going to go as expected? Boy, I, I find it hard to, to see it going, and, and I don't think just Michigan State. I think across the board, um, you know, especially with, with uh, what Dr. Fauci was expected to say today to Congress, I, I think that. Uh, I know one of the members of the NCAA's uh, COVID-19 panel who is uh, an infectious disease doctor at at Johns Hopkins, and I've spoken with him a couple times throughout this. Football in particular is one of those sports that the transmission risk is high, uh, probably a lot higher than other sports because you are in uh, very close physical contact with the other uh, players and the other team and your own teammates, Um, a lot of spit, a lot of saliva, a lot of uh, sweat, a lot of bodily fluids being exchanged. And then when you look at it beyond that, um, there are the other things that people don't think about. The locker room, the, the shared stalls, the shared showers, um, all that. Uh, you know, how you sanitize those facilities. What happens if if a team has a couple players or one player test positive and then they have to quarantine maybe three four days before a game do you cancel that and wipe that out uh you know and then you get talk it the the risk of of uh insurance you talk about all these other things that that come up and and gathering size i think that's another thing that people haven't really discussed a lot about i mean at minimum you're talking 60 players um per team. So that's 120 players. Then you add in uh, coaches, support staff, uh, officials, the the people that would be needed to run a game broadcast. Even if there aren't fans in the stands, you're still looking at it around 200 to 300 people going to be in a, in a singular environment. So there's a lot of factors, I think, that go into this that, um, you know, that are going to make it very difficult um, if if it is still where we're at now, do I think that? I mean, do I think it's a, a complete wash for the season? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I just, but I just think that you know, to me uh, and the people that I've talked to, it just seems like September, uh, even with you know a month lead up, seems like it's still uh, an awfully difficult bar to hit. Mel Tucker's departure out of uh, Boulder was not received well. How was his arrival received at Michigan State? It's. I think it's interesting because I think Michigan State wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, you know, from the fan base side, I mean, they, they went really hard at hard press after Luke Fickle, um, and everyone thought there was a done deal. And you know, whether it was an eleventh hour back out or whether there was uh, never any real validity to it. 
uh, still kind of up in the air. But uh, you know, it, 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 at the moment, it was like, well, geez, they whiffed after D'Antonio retired. They went and overpaid for Mel Tucker, but. Once people started to do a little background on Tucker, once I think the Colorado fan base's reaction and the venom and vitriol, because I think he built some real goodwill there in his one year, and I think there was a general uh, sense of excitement for where Colorado football might get, um, there's no question that I think that, that he's got a pedigree from the NFL and, the, and he's a bit of a fast riser within the, the college coaching community. So um, I think that they, they've gone about this. I mean, cause especially when D'Antonio retires February 4th, you know, a day before the, the final signing day period, open, signing period opens, um, after the coaches' clinics and conventions and everything, and most of the jobs have been filled, uh, that was Michigan State in a real bad spot. And I think that not only have they done a good job in bringing in Tucker after missing on Fickle, I think Tucker's picked up the ball and, and really built some momentum for this program for Michigan State that had been stagnant the last few years under D'Antonio. So momentum's great. Returning quarterbacks are better, but uh, the starter's <laughs> off to the NFL. So what is his quarterback race just wide open now? I think everything's wide open right now. That's the funny thing is they were getting ready to start spring practice uh, the week after the everything got canceled. So Mel Tucker hasn't even had this team out on the field yet to, to kind of give it a valuation. Um, I, I think it's going to be, and he was still at that point finalizing and finishing his coaching staff up until right before I think they were supposed to start March 16th or 17th. Uh, but obviously everything got shut down right before that. So he hasn't had a chance to see guys throw yet. I mean, they've got a, a returner in, in Rocky Lombardi, who's the backup last two years, uh, had some starting experience when Brian Lewerke was was injured two years ago, uh, but has really struggled to, with his consistency. They have two young guys that they like in Peyton Thorne, who's a kid from from Illinois, who was a true freshman who redshirted last year, and uh, Theo Day, who was a redshirt freshman last year from from locally in in Detroit area, uh, who had about six snaps uh, and was yanked from one game. So, not much backup experience beyond Rocky Lombardi, uh, who is the 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 returner with some experience, but. Certainly, they need to, they need to find the guy to replace the work because he was really uh, the the one that made that offense move when it did move, and it really wasn't moving a lot the last couple of years. But I look at the other skill positions: uh, Elijah Collins at running back, uh, pretty good. Uh, you've got uh, Naylor and Barnett and receivers. Uh, Kenny Morgan, six foot six. So it looks like uh, mm-hmm. receivers and running back they should be pretty good. Well, Barnett's going to be an interesting case because uh, he played offense last year when they were in such a dire need of of having some explosive plays uh, when they went to that no-huddle approach under D'Antonio and and spread attack for really the first time. And Barnett's going to more than likely end up on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he was brought in as a four-star cornerback, so um, could he play both ways? Possibly. Uh, depends on some of the other guys that – that could be game breakers. I think that the name to watch is Jaden Reed, who uh, transferred from Western Michigan and sat out last year. He was a freshman All-American at Western Michigan, also a high school teammate of Peyton Thorne, the, the young quarterback. So I think that's an interesting guy to watch. But Collins, I thought, 
really seized the, the running back job last year. Uh, uh, two games into the season and forced a couple guys to leave the program, one of whom is Connor Hayward, who's back. He actually entered the transfer portal, but the portal stayed put in East Lansing, and he's going to be back. So that gives him some veteran depth at running back. He, he's also a guy that can flank out. Um, you know, they, They've got a lot of offensive linemen returning, but also a lot of guys who have been significantly injured. Um, and have histories of injuries now that have really curtailed what the offense has been able to do with with uh, the past two years when when they had a quarterback in Brian Lewerke who who had some talent but but really struggled with accuracy and struggled to to stay in the pocket because the the offensive line continually broke down. I mean, if you go back and look, I think it's you know maybe over the course of 26 games over the last two years, I don't think there was more than maybe two or three games uh, where the same offensive line was trotted out back-to-back games. So uh, if they're, they've, they've got some talent up front, but if they're, they have to keep them on the field together, that's a key for this team right now with the experienced quarterback. So you look at the defensive line, and that was that was senior laden, and three of the four guys off yeah. to the NFL. Only one drafted; the others on free agent contracts. But the point is, the holding line has to rebuild. How are they going to be versus the run? It's a good question. Um, you know, because they had some guys in in Raquan Williams and Mike Panashuk and Kenny Willickis who really elevated that defense to to being the, the top run-stopping defense in the country two years ago and three years ago they were top ten and they you know I think they were they were up there last year but had some drop-off with having to play significant more snaps with with some of the offensive deficiencies um, they've got some youth I, I think that Jacob Panashuk is a guy who comes back at defensive end uh, and I believe he's the only returning starter in the front four uh, but they got guys like Naquan Jones, uh, who played a lot of football in the middle. They got some young guys that they like there. Um, and, and some Deshaun Mallory, who I think was a redshirt freshman last year, and Jalen Hunt, who was a true freshman who didn't play. They like those two guys. So they got depth in the middle, uh, generating a pass rush from the edge with, with that they lose with Kenny Willick is going to be a, a real challenge. Um, that's where some of the younger guys may have to step in. And, you know, a guy like uh, Michael Fletcher, who's a true freshman, they really like him. He didn't play last year. Uh, so he's going to be a redshirt freshman this fall. Got some size, got some power and shock to him. And then at linebackers, they've got some. They lose really two two thirds of their starters with Joe Bocci and Tyreek Thompson. Antoine Simmons is a guy who's who's shown the ability to make some pressure from the edge uh, at that star linebacker position. It's kind of in limbo as well where he'll be. I mean, they they played him some in the middle last year uh, after Bocci got suspended. Uh, they they can move him to the strong side if they they need to. So that but there wasn't a lot of depth. Uh, there wasn't a lot of snaps for the depth guys a year ago. A guy like Noah Harvey's probably the the other returning starter. He started at the end of the year towards the bowl game. So there's certainly some some holes to fill uh, in that front seven for Michigan State after having such a good run those last couple of years under D'Antonio. I can make the same case that as far as the corners and safeties, I think there's only one starter each at both positions returning. So there's going to be a lot of new faces in terms of starters there too, right? Yeah, Shakur Brown, who started at the end of the year, uh, comes back at cornerback. And Xavier Henderson, who 
took over the starting job a year ago. Strong safety is back. But, yeah, they lose uh, Josiah Scott to the NFL a year early. Um, they, they, who, uh, you know, I think he ended up being a fourth-round pick. Uh, that's going to be a big loss at cornerback. That's where I think maybe uh, Julian Barnett will shift over from receiver and, and be a force there. They've got some other guys that they like. Um, then they lose David Dowell, who's a three-year starter at, at, at free safety. They've got a couple guys in the mix for that job, including his brother, his younger brother, Michael. So um, there, there's depth. I think that, that there's there's guys like like a Dominique Long, and, who was a special team star, but but might finally get on the field at safety a little bit, um, or or. Uh, uh, a couple other guys that, that have played the last few years in a backup capacity, but um, no, not necessarily the, the veteran starters that they they were getting accustomed to the last few years. It's going to be going to be a different deal because this is a team that that relied on its defense the last couple of years in D'Antonio's era, and um, you know the defense played a lot of football. But the starters played a lot of football because many of those games were were closer. That they needed to to be on the field. So these are guys that have been in the program but really haven't had a lot of taste of, of exposure and experience. Chris Solari joining us, Michigan State football writer for the Detroit Detroit Free Press, part of our spring football tour. BYU set to host Michigan State in the second game, Saturday, September 12. So when you put all of this together, it sounds like there is a lot of work to do, and the Michigan State would be pretty vulnerable early in the year, but also that hopes ought to be pretty tempered for the season as a whole. Am I right? Yeah, I think that, you know, and Mark Antonio talked about this not, you know, towards the end of his tenure and I believe even in his retirement press conference, the baseline for this program that he is handing off to Mel Tucker is to get to a bowl game. Um, I think that's the the minimum. I mean, this is a program that that really didn't have that consistency in making the postseason up until D'Antonio took over, and then in 12 of his 13 seasons, he took them to a bowl game. I mean, that's that's remarkable in the history of Michigan State football. And it's been a, that's a strong football history when you think about it. The national championships they've won, and you know all of that. But but you know in the bowl era, really, I think probably from from '70 on, um, you know, once the Big Ten opened up the doors to to more than just one team going to the postseason. Uh, you didn't really see Michigan State in the mix for postseason games consistently, um, but that's a different. That, that's the difference between where D'Antonio took over and where he left it. Mel Tucker, I think, is going to be. He's he's got that baseline. He's got to get the six wins, uh, but you know, a lot of it is going to be learning new pieces on the fly. I mean, because who knows when they're going to be able to get to start practicing. That'll be the first chance he gets to see these guys. So um, they're already behind the eight ball with when D'Antonio resigned. They, they, made, they made quick movement to get Tucker, but not quick enough to get them out in the field for spring practice, even for, for one snap. So, um, you know, everybody's expectations are a little bit uh, tampered, uh, uh, tempered here in East Lansing as well as around the country, but especially with Tucker and his staff. But there's talent here. There's no question about it. Chris Solari, Michigan State football writer for the Detroit Free Press. Chris, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out here in September. Sounds great, guys. Be safe and stay well. 
PK, you listen to that, and it's just a reminder that uh, Power 5, it sounds big, it sounds ominous, but BYU took down Tennessee, and they took down USC, and they lost to South Florida and Toledo and Hawaii. So the whole Big 5, Power 5 thing, or the Power 5, uh, G5 thing, you know, <laughs> great, but Michigan State's totally beatable. This doesn't sound like a football team that will be very good this year. Certainly, certainly not in Game 2 of the season. You're more a Big Five or a Dicks guy. <laughs> Probably Big Five. <laughs> well, no, wait a second. Jeff Call had a piece in the Desert News that Bronco Mendenhall said every freaking week, week in and week out, elite athletes, elite coaches, the Power Five versus the non versus the independents. I think it was Bronco. It said that every week, man, elite competition. Come on, Bronco. Love you, buddy. But every week, yeah, I don't think Utah playing Arizona, man, that's at the top of the uh, food chain when it comes to elite competition with the Cats and Oregon State. No. Come on. Let's be real here. Indiana. On and on. Kansas. And on. Okay, when Virgin when he went to Virginia, they lost to Richmond. They were two and ten. Yeah. So it's not every week. Every but that's what he said. Go he in fact I'm writing lots, about this this week. Lots of every people say lots of things. Every freaking week. Yeah. Lots of people say lots of things. They're not all true. He's been consistent about saying that though, and I don't get it. Every week, guys, I don't know where you are and where you've been, but Bronco. He has taken an oath to speak the truth every single week. Go ahead and read it. Right, Jeff had uh, read the story. That Michigan State game looks winnable for BYU. That's all I'm saying. You got you got a brand new defensive line. It's like you said, half the secondary is gone. They're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. They got a new coach who uh, didn't get spring football with his new team that is going to have a lot of new players, and BYU gets them at home. So you're saying BYU starts the season 2-0 and then? I'm saying BYU should be favored in that game, and I see what you did there. That was very clever. <laughs> <laughs> Took him a second before. I do not think, yeah, it's like, the first game. Oh, wait, I know what the first game is. (laughs) I would think BYU would be favored to be one and one. I would think that BYU would go into the opener on underdog, and they would go into the second game as a favorite. If it plays out that way, who knows? But All I'm saying is this is the year. (laughs) This is the year for what? That's all I'm saying. I I, I wouldn't have said that's all I'm saying if I was going to say more. This is the year. Yes. Uh, Michigan State almost with a conference game with Northwestern. So assuming everything, were, you know, this all assumes everything goes off as scheduled. But if it does, you actually get a pretty good read on Michigan State. Because sometimes you go into the second game and the first game is just a money game and it doesn't really tell you anything. But you could actually get a little bit of a read on Michigan State with a conference game in the opener. Sure. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. So we talked about this a little earlier in the show. and want to hit it for you, the 8 o'clock listeners. And we'll get to this next. USC coach Clay Helton says the Pac-12 is considering playing only 11 games this season and all would be conference games. Your reaction to that and one idea I wonder if they've considered. I think we should throw it out there. I think this would work. Why 11 games? Why not 12? There's two things they could do. One is obvious. I wonder if they've considered the other one. I'm going to throw it out there, PK, and you could just shoot it down if you don't like it. We'll do that next. And now, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Major League Baseball owners approved a proposal that Commissioner Rob Manfred will present to the players today on a return-to-play scenario that aims to have baseball back in home stadiums by early July, according to reports. But owners fearful of deep financial losses with fan-free stadiums agreed in a conference call Monday afternoon to a plan that includes a 50-50 revenue split with the, split with the players. That would sound like a salary cap and may not go over with the players' union. We'll probably find out later today. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes is consensus favorite to be the NFL MVP in the 2020 season with Ravens star Lamar Jackson the second choice. NCAA streamlining its evaluation tool for selecting teams for the NCAA basketball tournament. It will no longer include winning percentage, adjusted winning percentage, or scoring margin. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing. Heating and electrical spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. From Stadium Network, Brett McMurphy. The NCAA has no control over college football at the Division I level. Ultimately, it's the presidents that will make that decision. It won't be Emmert. If it comes down to this, we're going to have a season and the general students can't be on campus, but it's safe for the student-athletes to come back. We can play a season that way, or we're not going to play a season because the general students aren't going to be back on campus. We are definitely going to be playing a season because that's how critical and important the revenue is. As long as the health and safety of the student athletes is not compromised, then they will find a way to play somehow, some way. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. USC coach Clay Helton says the Pac-12 is considering playing only 11 games this season and all would be conference games. What do you think? You like it? Excited by it? Willing to accept anything? Whatever. Play football. Don't really care what it looks like. Whenever. So we've heard the conference games only model, PK, and we've also heard, you know, they might only play in 8, 9, or 10 games. So 11's better than that. I wonder if they can squeeze in 11. Why not 12? Now, we went through this earlier this morning about, hey, maybe the money games don't make sense. Why do you bring in a big Sky team and give them a big chunk of cash that you're really not going to get back now because you're not selling your 40, 50, 60,000 tickets, whatever it is. So maybe those games don't make sense. And maybe the big neutral game like Alabama doesn't make sense because, again, the big payouts presume that you, know, you can pack 80,000 people into the stadium or whatever. And maybe even the home-and-homes are a bit of a struggle here because why did Washington schedule Michigan and why did uh, Oregon schedule Ohio State? Well, they assumed they'd have sellout crowds to help with the payout, and so it, it doesn't make any sense to write that big check. Plus, different parts of the country may be healthier at different parts, maybe a hot spot at different times, so all of that could get pretty complicated. So we get why Clay Helton is throwing this out there, and certainly they're considering a lot of things, so why wouldn't they be considering this? But why play 11 games when you can play 12, PK, and make more money off that TV contract, give the networks more of that programming? What do you think, home and home with the rivals? Do you want to see Arizona State play Arizona a second time? Uh, only if they go 2-0. and Yeah. <laughs> Come on, give me a second rivalry game. Doesn't carry as much juice in Utah and Colorado. I get that. And I get why Oregon State and Washington, or Oregon State certainly, and maybe Washington State too, would say, do we really want to do that? Does Oregon State really want to play Oregon a second time? 
That seems kind of weird. Because we haven't seen it. But the 12th game, to make the money, to get the TV income, to balance the budget and not have to lay off people in the athletic department. And in most of these cases, really minimize travel. Not for Utah and Colorado. That's still, you know, either an eight-hour bus trip or a plane flight. But totally drivable in L.A. and the Bay Area. And really in Oregon and Arizona, too. Yeah, I don't know if there would be some form of fan appetite for it, though. Wouldn't want to watch it a second time? It's a game. Yeah, but, but there's got to be more to it than the just it's a game. Just play 11 then, huh? Because yeah, that's a neat, nice package. And it just fits. It's a square peg in a square hole. And it's clean. And it is something that uh, you can wrap your arms around, your eyes around, whatever you want to wrap around it and deal with, all right, this is what we got here. And because the conference season is so huge anyway, I've often wondered why they didn't just play everybody. And, you know, maybe a, a one tune-up game or whatever game. I mean, if you want to play Ohio State, so be it. Uh, but why not just play in your, your conference games? You know, because you, you hear about teams call it the preseason. It's like, well, wait a second. It's not the preseason. But yet coaches will call it the preseason, which to me puts all the emphasis on the season, hmm. which is the conference. Because the pro sports preseason has a negative connotation, like this doesn't really matter. Well, it's a practice. These are yeah. scrimmages. Right. Scrimmages, practices, that type of thing. Yeah, it does. Exactly. And that's my mindset. And when I hear coaches say that, the preseason, well, wait a second, uh, you know, that's not really true. So the point is, but they love to emphasize the conference, which I don't have any problem with. That's awesome. You know, I can watch any Pac-12 game anytime. I mean, it could be two, zero, and ten teams. And if it's on and there's you know nothing else good on, that probably wouldn't be the case. But I can watch it because I'm going to get something for work purposes, and it's a Pac-12 team. Particularly if it's an 0-10 Arizona team, you better believe I can watch it. And and enjoy it. To see him go 0-11. Uh, find fun in that. So, Because there's nothing like rivals. And I think that's where colleges really have it better than the pros. Because they're traditional rivals. They stay rivals forever and ever. Uh, the rivalries in a pros can come and go. Uh, depending on the circumstances over time. And in a pros, the rivalries have to be usually two good teams. In the colleges, we've seen two crappy teams, and if they're rivals, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't, you know, may not matter to the to the country. <laughs> yeah, but it matters to you and Miss, them. Mississippi, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl, I have a problem getting worked up for, but nobody in Mississippi does. Right, well, the two Arizonas have played each other many times with nothing on the line relative to beyond the state, but yet I'm into it. And we used to have it uh, here a couple of times uh, where BYU and Utah played and there wasn't a whole lot at stake at the end of the season. Uh, but the community was still into it, obviously. You felt it. You felt it walking into the stadium. As a completely, totally neutral observer to this rivalry, I still felt it. You know, And I, and I really got excited about it in basketball. That was something that I really had no clue about until... I walked in the Huntsman Center and walked into the Marriott Center when those two were playing each other. 
and the 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 passion in the fans it was just it was increased you, as someone who had no exposure to it whatsoever and had never seen those teams play ever being the first time was like, okay this is something you know what's up with this you 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 feel it and so the, the rivalries have that in the conference season and then too i think you know in the conference season what you can have is you can have temporary rivalries if two teams are good you know that when utah went up to washington this past season they don't really have a rivalry but they hadn't won in a while up there and it seemed like when they got in november they would stumble in fact, one of the guys on the staff, right as the game was over, I'm on the field, and he came up to me as they're walking off the off the field. And, and this is a game that we would have lost in years past. I remember, I'm, I'm, it's not a direct quote, but it's basically the message that he said to me, because that usually happens, where uh, I'm standing there and the and the team is walking into the locker room, and I usually wait till all the people are done because I don't want to walk with them. I'm not part of the team. But they'll walk past me, and guys will say something. I mean, at the Bowl, one of them just came up to me, and I saw him coming, just whispered in my ear. He said one word. You know what that word was? No, all I can come up with is two words, get out. Security? (laughs) I don't know. What was it? He he said, ouch. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's all he said. Nope. He walked. He just stopped for just for a millisecond, whispered in my ear. He just said, ouch, and yep. he kept on walking. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one-word summary of that game. Yeah. I mean, if you only have one word, that's not far off target. Right, and, that, and, and I've had that many, many times over. Uh, Kalani, uh, a couple years ago when they beat Arizona, and I'm standing as I do as they start to walk into the locker room after they've shaken hands and all that, all that stuff. And uh, he just came up to me, saw me, said, I bet you you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> so guys will say stuff to you, uh, usually uh, almost all the time. But that Washington thing, that was a rivalry. Now, it's a temporary rivalry, but in the moment it was huge. The stakes were huge. And the last time the Utes had gone up there, they – won that game for 58 minutes and they tripped over themselves in the final two minutes and I had some stuff sent to me said to me then too and it wasn't that's any stuff that I could repeat <laughs> because they were really furious and frustrated about yeah. what happened in that game there was that game and there was a game they lost on the big punt return late in the game uh, so there had been some painful moments with Washington it felt yeah. good to get over the hump and also just because of the way the schedule laid out right you know exactly. that was the last of the quote-unquote tough games Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and ahead were win, win, and win, which is what happened. Yeah. yeah. So, so you have that. So I've often thought that man, you should pump up these conference games as much as possible. And I know that it would hinder BYU. I understand that. But from a Pac-12 perspective, I'm I'm actually excited to have if that if it were come to pass. I don't know if it's going to come to pass, but every team play everybody. To me. That would be a lot of fun. And to see, I'm wondering, you know, how much of stuff that's going to happen when sports comes back is actually going to be thought of, hey, this is a pretty good idea. And maybe we should continue. Yeah, this. I think I think that of all the things that I've heard thrown out there, the two that have stuck with me are the NBA going December to August. I am warming to that. And I think even more than that, I think Major League Baseball 
constantly having a crossover where the NL West plays the AL West. Whether they get rid of the um, whether they get rid of the uh, NL and AL or not, but you know, playing the games in the time zone, minimizing the travel, it seems like that would help the quality of the game. You know, when people are tired and fatigued, they're just not going to play their best. And it's a lot of games that people want to see. You know, people want to see the Dodgers and Angels, the Giants and A's. But even more than that, there's a lot of Northern Californians down in Southern California and vice versa. And I think you, you can speak this better than I can, but on the East Coast, you know, there are a lot of people from Boston, Washington, Philly, Baltimore, and D.C. who move between those t- towns because of work. So to have those teams playing each other regardless of league, you know, if the Red Sox are going into New York more often to play the Mets, how is that not a good thing? Isn't that obviously a good thing? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. I think you have it to an extent with the Mets and Philly, you know, only being uh, 100 miles apart. And so and having been there, that gets people excited because you're getting like particularly in the state of New Jersey, you're getting two fan bases that are in the same state. You know, depending on right. if you're the southern part of the state, you're going to be from Philadelphia for the fans. And if you're from the northern part of the state, you're going to be for the Mets. But it's the same state and it's they're very close and together. We can- we could ask Clowkey this, too. It's like we know that Milwaukee changed leagues, and in part it was because Bud Selig wanted the Brewers playing the Cubs, right? Well, why not have them so they play the Cubs and the White Sox? It's only like an hour and a half or two hours from Chicago to Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, depending on what Depending on what part of Chicago. I've driven it. You have, too, I think, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I, have, I have. Yeah, and depending on what part of Chicago you're leaving from, it's an hour and a half or two hours because Chicago's a big place. Uh, you know, and the same thing with Chicago going to St. Louis and Kansas City. We know the Cubs and the Cardinals have a rivalry, but why couldn't they establish that with the Royals and why couldn't the White Sox? So if baseball ends up scheduling that way, that, makes, that just makes more sense to me. You know, it makes more games. It would seem like there'd be more visiting fans in the crowd, which in its, you know, it's kind of a nuisance, but in its own way, it's kind of fun too. It's not fun to go to your team's game, a home game. And, and if you grow up in the Sun Belt, this happens all the time. It certainly happened with San Diego State and happened with BYU. It happened with the Chargers and a lot of teams. You couldn't go to a Padre game when I went as a kid without 5,000 fans from the other team being there. But it's bigger crowds. It makes it more fun. I mean, you want to be there with 5,000 more empty seats? That doesn't make any sense. No, I sat in Jack Murphy Stadium to watch the Philadelphia Phillies on a Sunday afternoon take on your San Diego Padres. Nice. That was the time that... You drove to the beach without going to the beach? We're five minutes away. I'm 17 years old, and my mother and my brother-in-law and my sister, we decide we're going to get up on a Sunday morning... He's a, he was from South Jersey. I was more North Jersey, although because of him, I ended up spending a lot of time in South Jersey and became a fan of the Phillies uh, in, the, in the way I'm a fan of pro sports. You know, not a diehard, but a fan in terms of following them. And so we got up at 4 in the morning to get there. Where they start? 1, 2 o'clock on a one, Saturday afternoon? Yeah, drove out there and watched the game. It was awesome, you know. It was in August, and it was so blazing hot in Phoenix. Got to drove through Yuma and all that stuff. Got to the stadium. I was so excited. Sat there, watched the game. Then you're thinking, all right, man, now we get to go to the beach. Nope, we're so freaking cheap and poor. Got in a car and drove right back home. And I thought, you have 
got to be <laughs> That is a major disappointment. For those of you who don't know, when you got on I-8 eastbound, <laughs> instead of I-8 westbound, you're yeah. like five minutes from the water. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, like, you could smell you it. Didn't, you didn't even have to spend money. You could have just gone to like Mission Bay and walked around the grass, not even gotten sand in the car. But at least you could have smelled the water and seen it for like 10 minutes and spent no money, and it would have been a great 10 minutes. Absolutely. And then left. But we had to, we had to get home, you know, yeah. had to get home because we had a seven-hour drive yeah. ahead of us. So we spent 14 hours to see, a, you know, a two-and-a-half, three-hour ball game. And it was fun while I was sitting there. And I thought for sure that I, and I've been able to talk my way into a lot of stuff, pretty much anything that I want. Yeah, but you were with mentally tough people. You hit the wall. <laughs> you couldn't break them down. They're not having any of your nonsense. <laughs> and we all took shifts driving. Because I was 17, so we had four of us able to drive, and we all took shifts driving while others slept, and we drove right back. But they're also talking about putting the designated hitter in, too, and I think that's about time. I'm not a big DH guy, but we got to have some uniformity in these rules. And so they're talking about this year doing it, expanding the playoff to, what, 10 to 14 teams. So I wonder if they can use that. And you brought up basketball in terms of the uh, – calendar changing yeah i don't i don't care you can do whatever you want just give me my playoffs i it really it it doesn't matter in the least to me i'm going to be in whatever calendar you come up with it's not going to change my mindset whatsoever in terms of watching your sport i'm going to be there either way so if you think that's better and you can make more money and better exposure fine go ahead and do it doesn't matter to me but i think that there's opportunities to make these changes i don't think the colleges would be as radical pac-12 would be as radical as to go to 11 games but i wouldn't mind it to be honest to have everybody play everybody and uh then you there's really no there's no need for a north and a south at that point nope it just the it's just like basketball. It is it is your conference, and conference opponents play everybody. I mean, I'd certainly rather see that than Utah going to Northern Illinois or Laramie. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, in a given year, Laramie might be a better, more difficult game than you know, Oregon State. Who knows? Uh, you know, it depends on from year to year. But I'd rather see it. Uh, I love the familiarity of the conference, the conference games, and, and it just matters. It just matters more. It just means something, man. Every Saturday, I don't know that they would be bold enough to do it, but I would endorse it. 11 conference games, and you play one other game, and then that's your schedule. I wonder if they would actually move it up. If they did that, would they move it? They will play 13 regular season games. 12 seems impossible. Remember when it was nope. 11, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who says, well, you young guys, you, it used to be 10. You just don't remember. You're right. I don't. <laughs> well, I was looking at uh, uh, Michigan State's coach, when, just their coaching history. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, just because Tucker's going to be his first year. And Dan Tony, I, th- uh, I think it was there for, what, uh, 13 years? And he says that's a good run if you're at any place for, for uh, 13 years. And, and one of their coaches was Daryl Rogers, who left Michigan State to go to uh, Arizona State and then went back to, I think he was, uh, when Lavelle said no to the Lions, he went to the Lions and became their head coach. But uh, he coached at Fresno, and then he went to San Jose, and then he went to Michigan State. So he actually left San Jose to go to Michigan State, but he kept the Spartan nickname. And uh, looking at the 
San Jose had a great run at San Jose, but they had their conference record, and they were only playing like four conference games. And that surprised me. That was, man, there's that few conference games that they were playing in the 70s. In the, what was it, the PC2A? Would that would have been what it was? It was, and it was a, it was a small league there for a while. Um, they had teams coming and going. And so I remember San Diego State. I didn't, I didn't know it was down as low as four, but I definitely remember it being a six and seven team league and only playing five and six games. And, and if you go back and look, the, you know, the early days of the WAC, the same thing. They were playing three and four conference games. If you look back at the Arizona schools in the 60s as they got that league up and running. So it must be something about forming new leagues from scratch or whatever. They, they, they roll with that for a little while. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Aggie football coach Gary Anderson's here at 9.30. We're talking with Chris Camrani, Ute rider for The Athletic, at 9.05 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. So, PK, a lot of people are talking about a fight. People are bored. And Twitter's got two guys with their shirts off throwing punches and kicking each other. It seems to be gaining quite a bit of traffic. It's going viral, as they like to say. Yeah, I saw Jeff Goldblum was trending, and I clicked on his name, and they're saying one of the uh, combatants looks like, or maybe he was Jeff Goldblum, and it does, it does have the build like him. The other guy's built more like you. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Short, stubby guy getting kicked in the ribs. Well, Goldblum is tall and lean and mean and has some martial arts background, obviously, if you watch the video. And he's kicking the crap out of the other dude, and the other guy gives up, ends up with broken ribs and who knows what. And made me think of some some uh, fights that I had seen in over the years. You got any fight stories? Uh, Yach told me you wanted to talk about this, and uh, I remember I was in junior high, seventh grade, walking down the hallway, and there were a clump of people, and there were two girls who I didn't know. Who, well, I couldn't even tell who they were at the start. I, there was just hair everywhere. And then it was like the cartoons. You see the arms just coming out, just flailing away blindly, punching. Wow. So that's a Beatles song. Hair there and everywhere. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> you? Oh, oh, yeah, I got a bunch, none of which involved me, but uh, thankfully. Uh, one time I was at a, uh, a cowboy bar in Phoenix, and we're playing shuffleboard. I had a friend, his name was Mike, and we're in the shuffleboard uh, frenzy, and it's not shuffleboard on the ground, it's built up so it's like a bowling lane a miniature bowling lane and you throw the little round thing so you don't use a stick you're using your hand right and so it's a offshoot of shuffleboard that you could have in a bar right so we're at this bar and we're playing shuffleboard and people were watching and playing and then you if you lost you know winners that type of thing and this one guy's getting a little little wasted 
and he decides he's looking for a fight. So he comes up to me, and he's like getting in my face, and yeah, not happening. Just leave me alone. So I, I, I just walk away. He goes up to this other dude. He starts giving this other guy, uh, shall we say, crap. And the other guy, this is a tough guy, right? I was never a tough guy. I talk tough, but my bark way bigger than my bite. And so these guys push him away, but the, the, the drunk guy's insisting on getting in his face. So he points to the guy to come back and uh, go outside in the back. And so they go outside, and about 10 minutes later, the one dude who's not drunk, tough guy he comes walking back in and resumes his shuffleboard it doesn't look like he doesn't have a hair out of place so i go out the back look at the other guy his face is all mangled (laughs) well you got what you were looking for (laughs) he had a bloody nose and all sorts of stuff i think it's over what what are we doing here man but you know alcohol got involved and that thing took off and and away it went but and then, of course, you have various high school fights. I was thinking more of an NFL fight. I was at a Raider game at the L.A. Coliseum back in the day, and I, there was some commotion. Like, hey, look over there. And you'd look right across the stadium, and there were cops in the dark blue uniforms totally stood out. And they were coming out of both tunnels, splitting and going up and down the aisle to kind of isolate the fight. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the section, again, it was like a cartoon. Eight, ten, twelve people, I don't even know. And just arms, people just throwing blows. And it was like, you couldn't figure out if there was, is it teams? Is this Battle Royale? Everybody for themselves? What What is going on over there? And the cops started to go in the row to get to the fight in the middle, you know, excuse me, excuse me, gotta get through it. And and they're almost there, and the whole thing just tumbled. Just tumbled down like four or five rows. And the cops had to inch out and go back in. I I missed like three or four plays. I think I missed a whole possession. I was totally fascinated by whatever the heck. And and everybody around us was, look over there, what is going on? It was the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing, yeah, I got in a tumble situation at an arena and got kicked in the face once, and that did not feel good. DJ and PK, when we come back, Chris Camrani, Utes writer for The Athletic, joining us next.